Kelly, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of August 1st, 2022. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on both Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, also on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site, medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we focus on what the money and endorsements are telling us so far about state races in this election cycle. Second, we look at the five legislative races we are using as a bellwether and why we have selected them. And third, we explain why we are going to find out something about Alaska's oil future in the next couple of months. And now, let's join Michael. All right, so number one of the weekly top three, let's get right into it because we're going to have a busy morning this morning is the effect of money and endorsements and what it tells us about the candidates. And uh, there's some pretty interesting stuff out there. So hit us with, uh, let's start off with number one and tell us uh, where we're at here. Well, there is. The uh, the reporters are starting to dig into the 30-day report um, that, uh, that the candidates had to file uh, 30 days in front of the election showing uh, who their donors are. Uh, we talked about some of that last week, but as the reporters dig more and more into it, and as I take a look at uh, at the at the at the filings, um, there's some intriguing things in there. Um, what what you're seeing is sort of what you'd expect, but you're seeing it uh, with uh, with big money. Uh, Bill Walker is getting uh, a lot of his money uh, uh, in big donations uh, coming from out of state. Uh, he has three uh, big hundred thousand dollar donors. One's in Kansas. One's in uh, uh, two, two are in New York. One's in Kansas, two are in New York. Uh, that's where his $300,000 donors came from. Uh, Dunleavy uh, isn't far behind. <laughs> it depends on how you count his brother who lives in Texas, but his brother is his biggest donor um, uh, who lives in Texas. Another of uh, his big donors uh, lives in Minnesota, uh, who uh, the governor describes as a fishing, hunting and fishing buddy. Hundred thousand dollars from his hunting and fishing buddy. I wish I had buddies like that. Man, we I wish. Do. I wish. Hey, Brad, I, I need a buddy like that. Let me know, okay? <laughs> and uh, but the third is from in-state, uh, Bob Penny, uh, the uh, Kenai Sports Fishermen's Association, um, and, uh, and and so at least uh, Dunleavy has uh, some of uh, some of his big one one of his big donors uh, coming from in-state. Uh, uh, Les Guerra has two. Smaller big donors, uh, uh, just over ten thousand. Uh, both of them are uh, in state. One in Juneau, one in Anchorage. Both of them are lawyers. 
Um, the Fairbanks, uh, the Fairbanks news miner, Linda Hersey did a, did what I thought was a, a really good analysis. Uh, what would the don don donors look like, uh, if you stripped out the big money? Um, and it's interesting if you take the hundred thousand dollar plus you take, if you take the six figure donations right. uh, out, uh, Gara leads, uh, in, uh, in, in the money, uh, not by a lot, but he has 500 plus odd thousand, uh, ahead Bill Walker's second, uh, if you count just, uh, in-state money and, um, or you just count the, 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 the take out the big donors, uh, and, uh, and Dunleavy's third, again, the, the margins aren't huge. But they sort of come together. I mean, all three candidates come together if you take out if you take out the big money. So I think that's telling you that uh, Gara has more of a grassroots campaign for good or bad. Um, uh, Dunleavy has somewhat of a grassroots uh, Alaska campaign. Uh, Walker is being financed a lot by uh, by out of state uh, out of state people. You look at the endorsements. Um, Walker's got a union endorsement, a couple of union endorsements. Uh, the, the bellwether, though, for me, uh, in terms of endorsements, uh, was one Walker announced this past week, Jim Jensen uh, uh, of, of uh, Linden Transport and uh, co-chair of the Keep Alaska Competitive uh, 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 campaign, someone I like to call or I like to refer to as Mr. Tw top 20 percent. Uh, <laughs> Jensen endorsed uh, Walker. And if you look at the endorsements and the editorials, that are coming out in support of Walker. They're basically who you would expect given Walker's last term. Uh, it's the top 20% who, who benefit by Walker using uh, PFD cuts to finance uh, finance spending. Um, and it's the beneficiaries of, uh, of government spending. Local government, uh, Mike Navarre uh, has endorsed him. Uh, others uh, in local government have endorsed him. Um, the education community, the university community, um, so you're, you're getting, you're, you're seeing that division that you would sort of expect, but it's being confirmed, uh, the top 20% and the, uh, and the, and the, and the unions and the government, uh, uh, beneficiaries, government spending beneficiaries supporting Walker Dunleavy, sort of the business community, generally a, a lot of top 20 percenters in there, uh, oil sort of in there, uh, and Gara, uh, also, the education community and and uh, and the government uh, beneficiary community, uh, but uh, smaller donations from them and and less endorsements. So the division, the division in the governor's race is is looking very, uh, it's confirming, I guess, what your what your priors would be. It's confirming that Walker is um, is is sort of the top twenty percent candidate uh, is the. Uh, government spending candidate uh, is the out-of-state good government uh, 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 candidate. Um, Gara is more the grassroots candidate. Is more the grassroots candidate, and Dunleavy is sort of the business community uh, business community candidate. It's uh, it's interesting to watch, and it's interesting to see some of the verbiage. One of the opinion pieces um, about this was uh from the juno empire uh one of the some educator that uh, threw out there but you could already see some of the narrative shaping up here the issue our state faces are significant with regard to education the teacher shortage and the compounded years of defunding 
preschool through 12 and post-secondary education systems in Alaska. The defunding of the this is the narrative that they're going to run on. And this is one of the reasons why she supported uh, is supporting Walker, because, again, he is going to be the big governor, can, uh, big government candidate who's going to pour more. You could see it's 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 exactly what it is. We need more money for this. Who's going to support my pet project? There we go. And you got that. You, so you've got that side. And the, and the title of that piece is, by the way, I'm a longtime educator and I'm supporting Walker Dragas. Um, You've got that. You've got the big government, uh, government spending uh, crowd. And then on the other side, you've got the top 20%. You got Jim Jensen uh, stepping in as a, as, as a, as a co-chair for Walker, uh, the top 20% uh, on the, on the other side. So the funding side, the funding for this big government is, uh, is the top 20% take it out of the PFD uh, uh, crowd. So you got, it's, it's what you would have guessed going into this uh, uh, from Walker's prior, uh, from Walker's prior term. Uh, but it's being confirmed as you look through the donations, as you look through the people he's listing as co-chairs, uh, as you look through the people who are writing op-eds in support of his campaign, it's being confirmed uh, uh, by uh, by that. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the about the legislative side uh, in the second segment. But I will mention that there's a the, the legislative side is is interesting. Uh, uh, Matt Buxton writes a uh, writes a blog on. Uh, it's a blog several places, uh, but he has he has a Substack uh, blog, and he he has gone through the legislative races um, uh, in detail. Uh, part one he published yesterday, which was the the funding behind the Senate, going analyzing the the uh, uh, the donations behind the Senate campaigns, uh, state Senate campaigns, and his the title of his is "Progressive Candidate Candidates Hold Fundraising Edge in Most Key Races for Legislature." So it, 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 it's sort of confirming, sort of reinforcing what you're seeing in the, in the governor's race with Guerra being, uh, getting a lot more grassroots uh, uh, donations, uh, not, not, not relying on big money, but picking up uh, gra grassroots donations. And you're sort of seeing that come through in the legislative uh, races as well. I, I will say conservatives, if you take money as a uh, as, as an indicator of uh, of of support, as an indicator of of, of election uh, results, you shouldn't uh, entirely. But if you do take that to to some degree as an indicator, uh, I would say that uh, the, the Democrats are uh, uh, doing uh, somewhat better than uh, than Republicans are. Yeah, when you uh, look, yeah look at some of those numbers, and it is uh, it is a little eye opening for sure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, one more thing uh, that I think to mention on the governor's race, again, in terms of support and in terms of where this is going, Walker uh, released a poll yesterday that's sort of worthless uh, because it's not really taking into account ranked choice voting. Uh, but, you know, you, you take what you get and, uh, and, and, you, and you spin it the way you can. Uh, Walker had a poll run, evidently, because the poll says it was prepared by uh, Hayes, uh, Hayes Corporation for the Hayes polling for the Walker Trigus campaign. Um, Walker uh, did a uh, released a poll, and it's an interesting poll. It shows a head to head between Dunleavy and Guerra, and a head to head between and Walker. Um, Dunleavy wins both. Uh, he beats Walker by less than he beats Guerra. He beats Guerra by more than he beats Walker, but not by much. And what that really does is I can is I think confirm the the survey that 
that Ivan Moore did, and we talked about last week, which shows Dunleavy ahead, Guerra and Walker sort of neck and neck uh, with uh, with whoever's going to finish fourth uh, uh, in, in the ranked choice voting, uh, becoming uh, very significant. So it's um it's a it's an interesting poll from the standpoint of really confirming, I think, what Ivan what we saw from Ivan. Uh, uh, last week or the week before, uh, in terms of Walker and Garrow sort of splitting uh, that uh, that progressive vote uh, and Dunleavy, uh, to some degree, uh, uh, consolidating the uh, the conservative, at least the business uh, conservative uh, vote. I want to mention one thing. Sure. Uh, back to the governor's race for a moment. Um, I think it matters uh, who finishes fourth. Um, there is. I, Jeff Lanfield did a did an analysis and says, you know, it's it as of this moment, it's sort of a toss up between Charlie Pierce and and Chris Kirka on uh, on who's going to finish fourth. And I think it matters who finishes fourth. And and here's why: um, I think the Charlie P- Pierce voters are more likely to to rank Dunleavy second than the Kirka voters. I think the Kirka voters are more likely to do one and done to vote for their candidate, and then to stop marking the ballot and go home. And if Kirka finishes fourth, without those second choice votes, um, I'm a little concerned that Dunleavy won't get to 50% after, this is based on the on the, right, on the the Ivan Moore poll and, and assuming Dunleavy's ahead. But I'm a little concerned that Dunleavy doesn't get over 50% um, uh, if, if that the fourth choice candidate doesn't have a lot of, or if the fourth ranked candidate doesn't have a lot of second choice ballots, uh, for Dunleavy. And if we go to the third choice candidate, if, if, if Dunleavy doesn't get over 50% after the fourth choice, if we go to the third choice candidate, then I think you're going to have a real issue, uh, in terms of whoever's finished second, uh, Walker or, uh, uh, Guerra. Uh, in terms of that, the the second choice is off that ballot, uh, uh, push pushing them over the top. So unlike unlike some who are saying, yeah, it really doesn't matter who finishes fourth. I, I think it matters a lot, uh, frankly, who finishes fourth. If you think about it in terms of is that fourth ranked candidate uh, uh, gonna gonna have voters who who you know go down the ballot and and pick a second choice, right? No, and I I agree. I think that uh, his voters, Kirk's voters, are much more likely to basically be all in on one with no secondary ranking. Um, I think that uh, I I would agree that Charlie's voters would have more of a propensity to uh, rank the red, so to speak, um, in that that race. Um, I myself will be ranking uh, red and yellow for for the whole race at this point. Um, uh, so we'll, I'll be doing some write-ins more than anything else. I'm definitely not ranking any, uh, anything on the democratic ticket as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you because, and this is what, uh, Frank Van Bennecombe did, uh, said, excuse me, Fred Van Bennecombe said to us, Dr. Van Bennecombe, of course, who's the expert from the, uh, um, uh, the Gladwell? No, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the institute. Anyway, he said that number two is that, that really, that is really where the important, where the race breaks down into is, is who are you voting for in number two? Because they have a tendency to more than likely be the candidate 
uh, in the end. Um, and in fact, there were Republicans who were running together basically in combination for various seats that were saying, no matter what you do, pick us for number one or pick us for number two. Uh, even if you don't like us, pick us for number two, because they saw that there was power in that. So this whole thing is a mess, uh, but it, it, it's hard to analyze because we have no real way of knowing and no real track record. But uh, I agree. I think that fourth place, I think that fourth place is going to be very important. Now, my fingers are crossed that Charlie gets across the line into the fourth place. We'll see, um, because really it is, <clears throat> it's, it's going to be him and Kirka. I think at this point, they're the only two that have the amount of support possible to get into that position. Um, but I mean, I don't know, quick thoughts on what, you know, who you think is going to, who's going to make it. Well, I hope it's Charlie too. I mean, I, 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 Walker as governor again, I think is a disaster. Uh, less would be interesting, but I think, uh, you know, of, of the three, I think Dunleavy's probably, probably the best, but you know, Kirk is, Kirk is just throwing so many flames out there. Oh yeah. Um, uh, at everybody. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's telling us that, 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 you know, he's not going to support, uh, uh, a second choice candidate is going to be all in for him. And I think that he's, uh, he's going to, uh, his supporters tend to, will, will tend to follow that as well. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, give us a tease into number two now before we jump into the break a little early. Well, Michael, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm starting to track uh, uh, legislative races, starting to think about legislative races more deeply. And I've picked five. Uh, at least at this point, I've picked five that I think are sort of the bellwether races, uh, and I've sort of uh, picked them out of certain categories. Um, and so we're going to talk about those, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the money uh, that's showing up in the legislative races uh, that, uh, based on the analysis that uh, Matt Buxton did. All right, Brad, number two, the top five or so candidates uh, races that you are really watching uh, in, uh, in this election. Of course, we know that uh, the legislative races, 59 of those races are up, uh, 59 out of 60 are up. But we know that at this point, the primary really for 58 of those 59 means nothing. It's essentially a fancy and expensive poll to kind of test the waters to see where people are. I guess it will give the candidates some data to know where they may need to work on things. But really, essentially, they're all in. Uh, because of the ranked choice voting, it's always the top four, and only one out of 59 races has more than four candidates, so everybody's going through for the most part. But let's get started here on your top five and uh, what the money means and the fundraising and all that other kind of stuff. Let's fold it all together. Well, it's, uh, uh, it's the top five races, and I've sort of picked them from categories, uh, from five categories. The first category is pro-PFD Republicans against top 20% Republicans. And that shows up in a lot of races. It shows up in, in uh, uh, Roger Holland, Senator Holland versus Kathy Giesel, uh, the rematch there. Holland, a pro-PFD, Giesel, a, a top 20%er, um, shows up in the shower race, shower versus uh, 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 Massey. Uh, again, Massey, you know, we've talked about this on our previous program, Massey, clearly a top 20% pick. Uh, to go in and try to take out Shower, uh, Shower, a, a firm uh, uh, pro PFD candidate, shows up in Verhagen uh, Bishop, uh, uh, Eliza Elijah Ver, Verhagen uh, uh, being a pro PFD candidate. Click uh, 
Bishop being clearly a, a top 20% uh, Republican. The one that I've picked uh, in that category to follow closely is the Ken McCarty Kelly, Kelly Merrick uh, Senate race in Eagle River. Um, I picked that one because it's gonna it's gonna attract a lot of money. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, Laura Reinbold's old district, so there's a question about uh, you know how conservative that district's gonna be. Um, and uh, and 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 really, I think it'll be a, a big uh, a, a big player in in terms of how the Senate comes out. Interestingly enough, well, not interestingly enough, I, predictably enough, Kelly Merrick's ahead on the money. Uh, she's got uh, sixty four thousand uh, dollars in donations compared to Ken McCarty's uh, twenty six thousand dollars. She has forty eight thousand uh, dollars remaining in the bank. McCarty has $3,000 remaining in the bank. And frankly, McCarty's in debt because his debt out, uh, out uh, uh, is higher than uh, uh, a higher balance than, than uh, the money he has remaining. So um, clearly the money is lining up, the top 20% money is lining up behind Kelly Merrick. I think that's going to be an interesting race. I think McCarty's clearly uh, uh, going to have a chance there because of what that district is. But that's going to show, I think, the impact of money. Uh, in a in a Senate in a state Senate race, the second category is uh, uh, a pro PFD Republican against a top twenty percent Democrat. Uh, that I've picked uh, that shows up again in some races. I've picked Costello, the the Mia Costello versus Matt Clayman race, uh, Senate race in uh, in South Anchorage, West Anchorage, as uh, as sort of the bellwether for that. Mia uh, is uh, uh, a pro PFD a Republican. Uh, Matt is a uh, 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 an anti or a, or a top twenty percent uh, Democrat, uh, and again, Clayman is ahead on uh, money. He's raised uh, a heck of a lot of money. Um, let's see, one hundred and ten thousand dollars, almost one hundred and eleven thousand uh, dollars for Clayman, uh, fourteen thousand dollars for Mia. Uh, Clayman's got uh, seventy nine thousand dollars remaining in the bank. Uh, Mia's got seventeen thousand dollars. Uh, remaining in the bank. So again, uh, top 20% money showing up for a top 20% candidate uh, thus far uh, in the race. The third category, and this may be the only race in the state that's like this, a pro-PFD Democrat against, um, you don't really know, uh, Republican. Scott Kawasaki, uh, the race between Scott Kawasaki and Jim Matherly up in, uh, up in, uh, uh, up in Fairbanks. Kawasaki's been a pro-PFD uh, Democrat, uh, consistently, uh, you look at, uh, Matherly, you don't really know, uh, what, uh, uh, what, uh, Matherly is, uh, uh, is what Matherly's position is on frankly, much of anything. Scott's ahead in the money so far. Uh, and so that's a, that, that's a, a interesting sign. He's, he's, he, Scott's a good grassroots campaigner, a good grassroots fundraiser. Uh, and that, uh, that, uh, if you're looking at this from the PFD issue, as I do, uh, that's a good sign uh, in that race. Um, the 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 Democrat on Democrat, there's uh, some Democrat on Democrat primaries. The one I've picked to look at uh, most is uh, pro-ish PFD Harriet Drummond uh, versus clearly top 20 percent uh, uh, Zach Fields. Right. That also shows it also shows up in the Garantar versus Forrest Dunbar uh, Senate race in in East Anchorage. Um, Drummond's, uh, doing okay. She's got, uh, she's got some money so far. Fields is picking up top 20% money. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting race. Uh, 
uh, as well. And then the fifth candidate is, uh, and again, there may not be many of these, but the, the fifth the fifth race that I'm focusing on is uh, again in Fairbanks, and it's a free for all. It's the Bart Lebon uh, re-election uh, with Kelly Nash running as a Republican and with uh, Dilbert running as a Democrat. Uh, clearly, Kelly Nash is a pro PFD uh, Republican. Dilbert sort of in the middle. And Bart is clearly a top 20% Republican. And that's, you know, talk about where ranked choice voting is going to play an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, role. Absolutely. Uh, that, that race is going to, is going to be one. And I think that's going to be an interesting uh, race as well. We haven't, I haven't seen the, uh, the fundraising numbers on that. I suspect Bart's going to have some pretty good top 20% money in there, but uh, uh, that's the fifth category that, uh, that I'm looking at. I mean, at one point, yeah. I mean, this is where the campaigns, especially in that LeBon race, uh, the campaign slogan for Kelly Nash and company should all be, you know, we're number two because we try harder. So make sure you vote us for number two, because I think that's it's going to come down to some slicing and dicing in the following follow up rounds of what's going on. You know, it's interesting in that race. Um, if you look at this from the PFD, if you look at this from the fiscal issue, Nash and Dilbert are much more closely aligned than Lebon is. And, and I would be tempted, if I were voting in that district, I would be tempted to vote uh, Nash 1, Dilbert 2, and, and leave, Debon, leave LeBon off, uh, off, off the ranking. Because when you look at it, it's odd, but when you look at it, the Democrat and the, and the conservative Republican are much more closely aligned on that fiscal issue, you, preserving the PFD. Right. Than, uh, than than Bart Laban is. So we'll see if uh, if the uh, if if that starts showing up in the race as a, as an important factor. But it's the reason I'm following it because because it's one of those few races where Democrats and and conservative Republicans are more aligned than the Republican is with the top twenty percent Republican. Maybe this one slipped by me and you said it, and I just uh, was technically working on something here in the background, but the Giesel-Holland race, the money-raising discrepancy there is pretty significant. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, Giesel, uh, uh, Giesel's a top 20% Republican. She's got uh, she's got oil money. Who, who doesn't want to see the PFD preserved? They want to see PFD cuts uh, 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 taken. Uh, she's got top 20% uh, uh, business money uh behind her um and roger uh roger really hasn't uh, raised that much even since uh even as you as you see on the chart even since uh, uh even since the end of uh of the session but the money michael the money was like that in the last race uh and right. roger uh beat kathy now kathy it, it, the, the kathy's uh 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 votes against the pfd were fresh uh, the last race uh, around, and they're not going to be as fresh this time. So you sort of wonder if that's going to have some impact. But money—that—that's why—that's why I'm following Merrick and, and and McCarty, for example. The money's going to be huge on Merrick's side. Um, all, already, you see the money uh, heavy on Massey against Shower. You see the money heavy on Bishop against Verhagen. Um, there's there's going to be money on the top twenty percent candidate side. I mean, that's they want right. to preserve. They want to preserve their ability to get off scot-free right. paying for government. But that doesn't, again, uh, just because they have the most money doesn't mean that they're going to be the winning candidate. That's, I mean, again, the Holland and Giesel race in the past proves that, if nothing else. There's met many times when candidates have been ousted, but it just depends on how long the candidates' memories or the, uh, the constituency's memories last. That's for sure. It, 
Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's why these races are interesting to me. I mean, the Republican on Republican races are interesting to me to see if uh, uh, to see if the if the pro PFD candidates, uh, the more fiscally conservative candidates can out can outlast uh, or, or survive that money attack that uh, that we're seeing in these races. Did you notice the uh, in Matt Buxton's article, the one uh, the one discussion on the fundraising about the defend our Constitution? Do you see what their fundraising had hit uh, in that uh, talk? I don't. I don't remember the 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 number. It was high. Three hundred and thirty two thousand dollars already for the defend our Constitution. That is the anti con con group out there. Um, I mean, that's a that's some significant money at this point. They, I mean, and a lot of those contributions coming from. Um, uh, from uh, one or one or more of the unions, they definitely do not want to see the state's constitution opened up uh, and some changes to be made. Uh, but I thought that was a, I thought that was a little eye opening, considering uh, the the con con movement has really barely got started at this point. Well, con con, <laughs> and, and, and if I recall that portion of the article, it also says the con con money, the con con, uh, or the the support of constitutional convention has zero. Uh, in yeah. terms of dollars, that there's exactly. no formal organization that uh, they've uh, there's no PACs, there's no money that's been put into uh, into that effort. So it's three hundred and whatever thousand you said uh, to zero right now in terms in terms of dollars. Yeah, there's I, there's a lot of reasons that people. Uh, I mean, we've talked about some of them on the show. There's a lot of reasons that people oppose uh, opening up the special interests uh, government spending. Uh, those interested in government spending, those interested in in preserving the PFD as a funding tool, cuts PS, PFD cuts as a funding tool. Uh, those interested in in preserving, I mean, one of the provisions in the Constitution is is uh, uh, guaranteeing retirement, uh, the government uh, employee retirement above everything else in terms of government spending. So uh, there's a lot of reasons that 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 those uh, tied to current uh, to current government spending and those tied to current government programs. Uh, don't want to see the con- don't want to see the constitution opened up. Yeah, no. I just thought it was an interesting uh, I just thought it was an interesting take because it really uh I'm sorry, 320, not 332. 320,000 and this is from the Juno Empire. 100 all, but 100,000 of that comes from two out-of-state PACs, the American Federation of Teachers and the IBEW PAC Education Fund and the NEA. So, I mean, they've got they definitely got uh, a skin in this game and making sure that the Constitution does not get uh, does not get cracked open for various reasons. Yeah, exactly right. There, there's 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 other. Um, I mean, I people who subscribe. I think I think this is a subscription only uh, publication by Buxton. I think this is one of his uh, uh, behind the behind the curtain publications. But I mean, there's some interesting numbers in here. Gary Stevens. Um, uh, is ahead, uh, has $58,000 uh, uh, compared to Heath Smith's uh, $24,000. But what's really interesting about that is Stevens only has $3,000 remaining. About $58,000 only has $3,000 remaining. Heath Smith has uh, $7,000 uh, uh, remaining. Um, so there's there's some, there's some very, that's another one of those Republican on Republican pro PFD versus uh uh, versus uh, top twenty percent uh, uh, candidates. Um, there, there's a lot of interesting. There's going to be a lot of interesting races 
uh, in here. I don't think the money is finalized yet uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, as, as Matt says at the headline, uh, progressives are, uh, are running ahead uh, uh, so far, generally speaking. Progressives and what he calls moderate Republicans, what I call top 20% Republicans, uh, are, uh, are, are, are sort of uniformly running ahead. One exception to that, Tuckerman uh, is, head of, uh, is ahead of Jesse Bjorkman by quite a bit. Tuckerman has uh, $78,000 uh, raised to Jesse's uh, $21,000. And he has ex- 32000 remaining against Jesse's 13000 Earning the severe disdain of Matt Buxton and the excoriation <laughs> of Matt Buxton for how dare they... Yeah, I mean, you have to. I love to read this stuff just with a grain of salt, but uh, yeah, definitely that's one of the bright spots in the whole thing um, is the uh, Babcock uh, Bjorkman race there down in the peninsula. But a lot of interesting races, Brad. I mean, and we're going to get a feel for this, especially after the this upcoming election. Like I said, it's acting more like a poll than anything else. We'll get a feel for where everybody's sitting uh, when it uh, when it comes down. It is. And as I, as I say, I'm going to be looking at it through these five categories, Republicans on Republicans, pro PFD Democrats against, uh, against uh, top 20% Republicans and, and so forth. I think that's really, to me, that's the way to really, you know, sort of grab hold of, of the dynamics that are, that are going on in the race. Yeah, absolutely. We can move on to number three, which is Alaska's place in the oil world. Where, what does it mean? Where, where are we going to, what is our place going to, how are we going to find this out? Well, we've talked a lot about uh, we, we've talked a lot about Willow on various programs. We've talked a lot about uh, uh, last week. We talked about the Wood McKenzie report that that uh, said Alaska was a, a disadvantaged uh, basin because of its uh, because of the environmental issues associated uh, with uh, with production there, uh, or the carbon issues associated with production there. And we've talked a little bit about PICA, but we're sort of coming up on a real world test. Uh, of of how investors feel uh, about Alaska, uh, about investing in additional production in Alaska. Um, Santos Oil Search uh, before Santos uh, has has gotten Pika to the point where it's ready to go. It's gotten all the permits, all of the approvals uh, that Pika needs in order to be able to go forward on uh, on Phase One of the Pika. Uh, uh, project, big phase one, uh, 80,000 barrels a day is, is the estimate of uh, their of phase one production. Um, they've gotten it, they've gotten it all <clears throat> sort of street ready or, or shovel ready uh, to use the term to go forward. The question now is financing. Uh, Santos, oil search before them, and now Santos has said they're going to make an FID, uh, FID decision, final investment decision. That's what FID stands for, final investment decision on phase one mid-year. Uh, well, we're in July uh, and, um, and, and Santos just released its second quarter uh, uh, corporate report and, and they reaffirmed that they're looking at mid-year, mid-year 2022 to make a decision on going forward on phase one. So assuming mid-year means you know, sometime by September, um, sometime uh, by the beginning of the third quarter um, or by late September, um, uh, we're coming up on that decision of whether or not uh, Santos is going to make uh, is going to make the investment decision. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about Santos having uh, Pika out for sale, at least a portion of Pika out for sale, um, wanting to to get you know to to spread the risk, wanting to mitigate their risk, um, uh, and uh, and and get a little bit of cash up front by selling an interest 
uh, in the Pika field. We've, we've heard those rumors for a long time. We know that Santos has had uh, a, a data room open in Australia, that people have visited it. Um, we're going to find out, I think, in the next couple of months how real this project is and how willing Santos is either on its own or how or, or, or positioned with somebody else uh, going forward uh, on that project. And I think that's a real world test of, uh, of where Alaska's uh, oil uh, investment and oil production future uh, lies. All right. Well, we'll keep our ear to the ground and our eyes to the sky. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming in and joining us. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top 3.